and share with us. Good morning. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's being short in stature. Um, the reading this morning is taken from Luke chapter 2, verses 21 to 40. Jesus presented in the temple. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise them, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice and keep him with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms, praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to the people of Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was a prophetess, Anna, and a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Israel. And the child grew, became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Linda. There will be a short hiatus while I get my sermon. <laughs> <laughs> 
Busy doing everything else this morning, I forgot that bit. In our series over the Advent season, we've been looking at voices from the margins, and we've listened to voices from Mary, from the shepherds, from the wise men, all of them playing their part in God's salvation plan. All tell us something special about God and about us. Mary reminded us that saying yes to to God takes faith. And even if his plans seem strange, he will work them out. The shepherds reminded us that there is a place for everyone in God's family and that we have good news to share. And the wise men reminded us that Jesus is the king of all kings, that he helps us to know God and that his death is how God saves us. And today we look at two people who were probably overlooked in their day, on the margins, and actually are often overlooked when we read the Christmas story. We stop with the visit of the wise men. They come onto the scene eight days after Jesus was born. But before we look at Simeon and Anna, let's see how Mary and Joseph are doing. Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph were devoutly obedient to the Jewish rituals. They had Jesus circumcised on the eighth day after his birth, as was the custom, and then went to offer a sacrifice as part of the purification ritual for Mary after she'd given birth. We know they were in Bethlehem. It's only about six miles from there to Jerusalem. So it was relatively easy for them to get to the temple. Circumcision, as well as being a moment of setting apart of a child, was also the naming ceremony, a bit like we have with christenings. Both Mary and Joseph had been told by the angel that they had to call this incredible baby Jesus. Can you imagine how poignant it was for them when the priest carrying out the ritual asks for this child's name and they say, Jesus. It's a kind of moment. It's happening. And as he tells us about the rituals that they undertook, Luke also tells us that Jesus was just a poor boy from a poor family. Because the expected sacrifice at that moment was a lamb. But there was provision in the law for poor people to offer just a couple of doves or pigeons. It's all they could afford. Remember, this is before the wise men turn up with their lavish gifts. So as we look at Simeon and Anna, try to look at them through the eyes of Mary and Joseph. They arrived at the temple just expecting to carry out the required rituals, and suddenly they're met by this old man and this old woman who seemed to know an awful lot about their son. To be fair, we don't know for a fact that Simeon was old. We can infer it from the way that Luke describes him as waiting for the consolation of Israel, that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Messiah. And whilst he's cuddling Jesus, he said, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. As readers, the way it's written, we're led to believe that he's been waiting a long time for this moment. What we do know is that he was a godly man. 
Luke says he was righteous and devout. He worshipped God with his life as well as with the rituals of the temple, through his actions as well as his words. Did you notice how the Holy Spirit was mentioned three times in just three verses describing Simeon? We're told God's Spirit was on him, had revealed a promise from God to him, and then was the one who impelled him to the temple at the right time to meet Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. Presumably, although Luke doesn't tell us, the Spirit also enabled him to recognize who Jesus was and approach the family. I find that because of the way that through most of the Gospels, Jesus is in conflict with the religious leaders who seem just to be going through the rituals of it all, that it's easy to write off everyone in those days as being just going through the rituals. But Simeon's faith was a living faith, as was Anna's. And there are others that we encounter in the Gospels who had a similar living faith in God who had a hope that God was going to do something new. Many of them became followers of Jesus. How do we know that Simeon's faith was living? Well, God's Spirit was on him. This is 33 years before the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit was poured out on the church. He already had the Spirit of God on him. And that sort of spiritual closeness only happens when we have a living faith. Clearly, he was listening for God's prompting. Not only the promise that he'd received, that he would see the Lord's Messiah before he died, but also in going to the temple on that day. We don't know what it was that made him think, I need to go to the temple today. But God's Spirit was actually the one who sent him. And when you look at the way he praised God when he was holding Jesus... Those are words that come from the heart. He was very much in touch with God's heart. The idea that Jewish people were God's chosen ones had evolved into a sort of racial superiority. And they were considering non-Jews, Gentiles, to be second-class citizens. So it's really significant when Simeon praised God in the temple at the heart of the Jewish faith, grand zero, and said that God's salvation was in the sight of all nations and a light for revelation to the Gentiles. He was actually making a really scandalous declaration. He could have only done that if God had given him those words. He understood that God is far more inclusive than many people realized then and realize today. Now, it's all got rather cute and cuddly at this point. Simeon's long-standing promise has been fulfilled. He's made this wonderfully inclusive statement about Jesus. He's praised God. No wonder Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph marveled at what had been said. Yet another confirmation for them that this really was God's plan. And then Simeon blessed them, and they must have been almost glowing at that moment, until, until Simeon said to Mary words she would carry with her throughout Jesus' life, a really tough prophecy. 
Jesus was going to be controversial. Some people would be drawn to him and follow him, and others would be angry at him and plot his downfall. And then those really painful words, at the end he says, a sword will pierce Mary's soul. Ouch. That suddenly got quite dark, hasn't it? But we've been seeing throughout this Christmas series that the shadow of the cross of Jesus is there right at his birth. He was born to die. And this is just another reminder of that. The second of our voices from the margins is our old widow called Anna. Now Luke doesn't tell us her actual words, but we hear a lot from her. The first thing I noticed is what a tough life she's had. Luke describes her as very old. A bit rude. Well, 84, as we're told she was, was way beyond the average life expectancy of those days. And bless her, she'd only been married seven years when her husband died. Given that women married really quite young in those days, she may well have been a widow for, for almost 60 years. There are a lot of instructions in the Old Testament about looking after widows because widows were in a really vulnerable position. Unlikely to have their own finances or property. It always went down the male line. Usually dependent on the support of their family or if there was no family, on the support of the community. Given how tough her life may well have been, do you wonder why she wasn't bitter and angry at God? Luke describes her as exactly the opposite. Devoted to God, always in the temple, worshipping, fasting and praying. It seems to me that at the heart of her life, Anna had a deep knowledge of God. Not just in her head, but in her heart too. She had a first-hand experience of how God made provision for care of widows, the vulnerable in society. She knew God was on her side. And she was able to look beyond her own pain and her loss because she knew God. She knew God's heart for those on the edge of society. That close relationship with God was nurtured by constant worship and prayer and fasting. It seems to me that the goodness of God, she had realized, was bigger than her own difficulties. Maybe she overheard Simeon with Mary and Joseph and Jesus, we don't know. But she too approached Mary and Joseph and, recognizing who Jesus was, gave thanks to God. In the original Greek language, Luke uses an unusual word here. It tells us that her thanks and praise to God were in response to his goodness to her. The same sort of response that Elizabeth gives when Mary visited her before the babies were born. Why am I so favoured? What have I done to deserve this? And it results in praise. Anna had the right perspective because she had a right relationship with God. And then she did what the shepherds had done. She told everyone about this child. 
Well, not exactly. Luke says that she spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. In other words, she told people who were ready to listen. People who had the same sort of expectation and hope that she and Simeon had. Have you ever wondered why it wasn't the religious leaders gathering around Jesus getting excited at that moment? Why these two older people? I think the answer is that they, Simeon and Anna, were expecting God to do something. Both of them were devoted to God. Luke describes how Simeon was waiting and Anna was one of those looking forward to seeing God act. Does this mean that God doesn't act without people expecting him to? No. Jesus was born and most people were oblivious to that fact, even though the promises were there written in black and white. He still arrived. The difference is that if you're not looking and expecting, you probably won't recognize it when God works. But if we are looking and we are expecting, so what messages can we hear from these two venerable voices from the margin? The first may seem like bad news to some of you, but God doesn't have a retirement plan. If you're retired or about to retire, don't panic. Let me explain. I'm not talking about an economic retirement with a pension. What I'm saying is that you are never too old for God to have something for you to do. And let's be honest, as a church, many of our members who are retired are those who are serving God in incredible ways, week in, week out, both on these premises and beyond. And I just want to stop and recognize that and honor that and thank you for it. Bless you. So much of what this church does would not happen without you. But you're never too old. What about, though, if you're, you're no longer able to be active or, or perhaps you're so active elsewhere you haven't got time to give to church activities? Well, you may well be a prayer like Anna. Prayer is the fuel that energizes a church. As a church, we are weaker without the persistent prayers of everyone, but particularly the older generation of this church are the engine room in prayer. Knowing that someone is praying for you persistently is incredibly empowering and encouraging. My grandparents, before they died, told me that they prayed for all of their children and grandchildren every single day. That makes a difference. But maybe you or someone you know is suffering from an illness that affects your ability to interact with people as you used to. My fervent belief is that as people lose touch with this world, their experience of God actually deepens. I can't give you chapter and verse from the Bible to prove that, but my experience is that I've seen glimpses of it so often when I have visited folk like that. It would be deeply out of character for God to abandon people in those circumstances, wouldn't it? 
God doesn't have a retirement plan. And he wants a relationship with us. Simeon and Anna remind us that God wants a living relationship with people. He doesn't want religious observance. Both of them obviously had a living faith in God. We're told Simeon was full of God's spirit. He was clearly in tune with him. Anna was prayerful and worshipful because she knew God. A relationship with God that's focused on what we do here once a week on a Sunday is okay. But compared to a relationship that involves him in every area of our life, it's a bit like the difference between a solo singer singing unaccompanied and a full choir with an orchestra. The soloist is lovely, but there's so much more that a choir and orchestra can do. A relationship with God like Anna's and Simeon's doesn't happen with a once-a-week visit to church. It requires constant attention. And how do we get that? Well, a bit like Simeon, ask God to fill you with his spirit. Daily, regularly, constantly. Ask him to speak to you, to prompt you, to give you time and space to allow him to do that and expect him to do that. Look for answers to the prayers you pray. The Bible speaks about making our whole life as an act of worship to God. And yes, it could mean singing songs while you do the dishes or other chores. But the Bible suggests that our life is an act of worship if we choose it to be. Consciously doing things, whether at work or at home, wherever we are, saying, I am doing this, God, as an act of worship to you. You may well find that God inhabits that far more than you had expected. If you help someone, tell God, I'm doing this for you, as well as for them. And I believe you'll find, like Anna, that you become more aware of God, and that you grow in your worship of him. If you want more ideas as to how you can do that, well, quick plug, the Sacred Pathways course might be exactly what you need. So explore nine different ways that we can encounter God. We're about to start our year by sharing bread and wine in remembrance of the cost of our salvation. Remembering that when Simeon said his eyes had seen God's salvation... He was looking at a person with whom we can have a relationship, not a religion to observe. Jesus came into the world to be the saviour of the world. To restore restore that broken relationship between us and God. To reconcile us. But while Jesus had done everything we need to make that relationship right for eternity, we still have a choice to make. Simeon and Anna couldn't have ignored Jesus. But they wanted to be a part of it. Simeon told Mary, when she was talking about Jesus' life, that some people would accept him and others will reject him. That's still true today. I want to ask you, which are you?
Let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for the example of Simeon and Anna. People, it's easy to pass by, but in whom your spirit was at work, who had such a close relationship with you, at the start of this year, we pray, give us your spirit too, that our relationship with you might deepen. And even as we prepare to share bread and wine together, we pray that your spirit will inspire us, that we're not simply receiving bread and wine, but we are renewing our relationship with you. Amen. We're going to sing.